Thank you, Brother Kevin. I want you to look again with me tonight and notice with me verse 2 of our text. And in particular, notice something that Paul says, which addresses how often and how deeply people around him misunderstood him. This will be the same reason, if you're a faithful child of God, that people around you may misunderstand you. Verse 2, but I beseech you, I beg you, that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. In other words, now follow this carefully, some people looked at Paul the same way with the same perspective as they looked at everyone, everyone else, namely, they thought of Paul as if, like everyone else, he walked according to the flesh. So that whenever he made his decisions, or whenever he acted a certain way, or responded a certain way, they inevitably misunderstood him. This happened a lot in the book of Acts when he didn't arrive in this place and do this thing that people thought he would do because they thought, they looked at him as someone who walked, quote, according to the flesh. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Paul says, look, I know I'm walking in the flesh. We all are walking in the flesh. However, I'm not walking, the verse before this, according to the flesh. That's why my warfare, he says, unlike the old days when I persecuted believers, when I used carnal means, arresting people and bonds, and even, even death, unlike those days, he says, I don't walk that way anymore, and I don't go by the rules of carnal man, because this is a spiritual warfare. So what changed? What's he talking about? He says in verse 7, look at it, which is important to see. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? And of course, folks, that's all the Corinthians ever did. Carnal people judge by carnal metrics. So, of course, Paul and any other spirit-led believer will be misunderstood and inevitably misjudged. And what's significant about 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and what we just read here, this statement, you'll notice at the end of verse 2, walking according to the flesh. What's notable about that, beloved, is that Paul already explained this. He already went through this in this very same letter. He explained it and he applied it. He did so using one of the most famous and one of the most familiar of all the most memorized verses in all of the Bible. And not surprisingly, it is also, therefore, one of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in the Bible. It's a few chapters back. Turn there, would you? Chapter 5, 1 Corinthians. You'll notice that Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Well, that's the memory verse. Except, beloved, I on purpose, intentionally left out a word of that verse. And it's a critical word. That verse actually says, therefore. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if 
Any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That means this. That means this very famous text is actually based upon something Paul had just stated. What do we often say here? When you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to see what it's therefore. That's right. So guess what is the verse just before this? Well, it's the first time Paul mentions the last line of our text in verse 2 that some think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Notice the words according to the flesh and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 again. Let's look at that first. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, therefore, therefore, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, let me just repeat that verse 17 is a text that eventually every Christian knows and quotes and hears and usually memorizes often. So often, they might overlook it. That is, they might overlook or neglect and miss out the truth of the text because they don't see what the therefore is there for. Even though that is a spiritual truth, as you'll see, that's just as glorious and enlightening and needful as all things are passed away. Old things. What verse and what truth are we speaking of? The first one, you'll notice in verse 17, it begins with verse 16, the therefore goes back to 16 where it says wherefore, right? Let's look at, look at it. Wherefore, henceforth, from this time forward, know we, no man, after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Now, folks, two times you'll notice the word henceforth. That means from now on, from that point on. He uses the same word in verse 15. Remember the word wherefore? You've got to see what that's there for. Go back to verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In other words, now follow this carefully. Paul is answering this implicit question of verse 17. What old things are passed away? What things are become new? What's different from that point on, this point on of salvation? henceforth as a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ who's now alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, mostly, primarily, gloriously, it's verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth, know we, no man, after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Now, wait a minute. You do realize that in that one statement, beloved, Paul addresses the Christian perspective on all three of the greatest issues and questions of mankind. For example, how do I see man? That's sociology. How do I see man? That is sociology. How do I see Christ? That's religion. How do I see myself? That's psychology. Sociology, religion, psychology. And Paul says, I used to know all three of these things after the flesh. I saw others according to the flesh. I saw myself according to the flesh. I saw Christ, this person from Nazareth, after the flesh. That is, through the fallen, carnal, darkened 
eyes of man. But not anymore. Now hear me carefully, not anymore. Now he says, as a new creation, spiritually alive, this born again, born from above, I see everything through the eyes of truth and eternity. So that from now on, I don't see anyone, including Christ, according to the flesh. One of the reasons why people have trouble with other people, Christians, fellow believers, and people who are not, is they don't see them according to Scripture, according to eternity. They still see them according to the flesh. And beloved, that doesn't merely mean something for you as a child of God. It pretty much means everything for you and me as a child of God. Put it this way. For most of Paul's existence on this earth, he was not a new creature. You realize that, right? He was a Pharisee, full adulthood. He was a lawyer. He was a zealot. He was a Roman citizen. He was trained at the feet, very well at the feet, of the great Gamaliel. And as such, with all of those advantages, he perceived things in this world. And he saw things and he knew people in this world entirely outside of Christ, outside of the knowledge of the, of the Lord Jesus. Now, he may have thought that he was an authority on the human condition and that he was better than other people. I'm sure he thought this, that he was better than others in the realm of religion. He certainly felt justified in certifying, for example, the death and the stoning of Stephen. Paul, just like all of us, spent a very large portion of his life knowing others, knowing himself, and knowing Christ, this person again from Gala, from Nazareth, outside and before his saving faith. And he calls that knowing men, quote, according to the flesh, both his flesh and their flesh. But here's his testimony as a new creature. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. As a new creature and a man who is now in Jesus, from this point on, he says, from that, henceforth, from that point on, my knowledge and my vision is different. And it is a difference that is so glorious that it changes, and it should have changed the lives of the people at Corinth, and it wasn't doing so because they weren't seeing things after the Spirit. It's a reminder tonight, beloved, that your understanding that your vision and mine as a child of God is eternally different than what it was before we were saved. And that as a child of God and an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, it must always remain so. Three things, the obvious ones in the text. The first one you'll notice is that, first of all, you see others differently. Look at verse 16 again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Now, let me just ask you a question. And again, this goes back to chapter 10, where they, they were looking at Paul according to the flesh. What did Paul mean by this? That before Christ, he knew and judged men according to the flesh. Well, in context, he tells us what he means. Back in verse 12, we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that you may have somewhat to answer them 
them which glory in appearance. Now, what does that sound familiar? Chapter 10 again. Them which glory in appearance and not in heart. Who's the them? The them are all the carnal people at Corinth. They're all the people that were causing division and problems and heartaches because these were the people who were judging according to the flesh. You see, folks, appearance is what you see. And Paul, just like everybody, used to look at people and used to judge people and evaluate them in the flesh. What's their credentials? What's their pedigree? What is their social status? What is their clout? What are their abilities? And folks, Paul was not unique in this. That's how everybody judges in the flesh. Glorying in appearance is the world's entire ethic. It's what our whole society does. You know, there was a survey taken a while back in academia, the professional world, and the survey included this question. What do you believe is the single most important event annually on a calendar year? And, you know, there were lots and lots of answers that were different, but the number one answer was this, the Oscars, the Academy Awards. You say, Pastor, that is ridiculous. I know. But I also know that a half a billion people, used to be a billion, will watch the Oscars every year and will do so this March. And I know that people are already talking about the Oscars two months before it's happening. And I know that they'll also be talking about the Academy Awards weeks and weeks after it happens. Now, folks, I just want to ask you a question. Is there anything that glories more in appearance than Hollywood and the Oscars? And is there anything more fake and shallow and deceitful and corrosive and hollow than that red carpet? Roll out the red carpet for who? Because of what? For why? It's just a reminder that while men look at this singular event of this year as supposedly the most important in the eyes of academia even in the world, that is not, beloved, ever the Spirit of God. We do not look on the outward appearance. It's not the Spirit of God. It is not the fellowship of Christ that causes a believer to ever glory in the flesh. Sometimes I have someone come up to me and they'll say, Pastor, do you know who just walked in the doors of our church? And they're not excited because it's a bus kid. They're not excited because it's someone who lives just two, two houses down in a little ramshackle house. No, they're excited because there's somebody. And I needed to know who that somebody is. That's called glorying in the flesh. You know, when Paul looked at and stood before King Agrippa and all of that power and Felix and Festus, that was during the henceforth of his life. That was after he came to Jesus. And you know what he did, right? He spoke to them respectfully, but just as he would any other sinner. Paul knew that no man, Paul knew no man henceforth after the flesh. He did not glory in appearance. He saw with spiritual eyes. The Corinthians were looking at Paul according to the flesh. His bodily presence is weak. His speech is contemptible. He can't be that great of a man. Several years ago, Rick and I were in Pensacola, 
I was preaching at the spring Bible conference at Pensacola Christian College, and on the second day, when I was about to bring my third message there, Brother Shetler called me aside just before I came up, and he said, Brother Blaylock, I am so sorry. He said, I did not know that you had a doctorate. And I said, is that okay? <laughs> he said, we, I'm just sorry. We've been introducing you all along as Pastor Blaylock, not Dr. Blaylock, each time, and I just want to apologize. I said, Brother Shetler, I didn't tell you that, and there's a reason. I, you can introduce me as Jimmy, Jimmy the Weasel. I don't care. <laughs> and sure enough, this time, just before I got to speak, they said, Dr. Jim Blaylock. And you know, after that message... It was after that message that these young people got in this big long for me to sign their Bible. And I sat down. Rick heard that introduction, and Rick goes, really? <laughs> Dr. Blaylock? I said, I promise. It wasn't me. I didn't tell him I had a doctor. But see, that's, that's what we kind of, by implication, always teach our youth. This guy, he's amazing because he has an amazing voice. This man speaks in five languages. You should be in awe. This person wrote a bestseller. This girl is an awesome actress. Look how beautiful. Look how talented. Look how smart. Look how wealthy. Look how athletic. We know people, see people, weigh people, value people, and accept people, not according to the Spirit but according to the flesh. And then even worse, we lead our children to do the same thing. And we get on the world's metric. When what we are called to do, beloved, is see and know everyone according to Christ, not according to the flesh. There's a poor man who knows the Lord. He's blessed indeed. There is a rich, wealthy, powerful celebrity who's without Christ. That man is cursed and poor indeed. That's how you see them. You see, that is judging righteous judgment. And it is that kind of sort of godly vision that prevents a child of God from chasing the pendulum of this world and, and therefore remaining faithful all the way to the end. From this point on, know we no man, others, after the flesh. Do you know what's wrong and grievous about churches that always want to elbow out the old people? Have you noticed that in the last 25, 30 years? They always want to elbow out all the old people and say, look, you don't want to go with our changes in music and our changes in style and our vision and our laser lights and all of that. What's really wrong with that is that they glory in appearance. Not valuing the virtues of wisdom, knowledge, sacrifice, faithfulness. They know every man only according to the flesh. And by so doing, they're not really changing the world. They're just reflecting the world. I don't care how big the church is. It's still just reflecting the world's values. I wonder tonight, by the grace of God, if we at Beacon Baptist Church would look at people the way our Lord did. That Jesus would see a poor widow and say, that woman has said something that will always be remembered. And then look at these very wealthy Pharisees with all their credentials and not be impressed at all. 
that we would look at people, whether poor or rich, young or old, strong or weak, known or obscure, black or white, whatever the appearance, that we would see others in Christ according to the Holy Spirit of God. Look, every Christian here has their name, if you're a believer, every one of us has our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but nobody in this room has your name written in all capitals. You're no more special than any other believer. So I say enough. Enough of the world's pride. The Summer Olympics are coming to Paris this July. You know, the model for the Olympics is sitios, altios, fortios, faster, higher, stronger. And people are in awe of Olympians. And to some degree, we should be. I mean, we can see what they accomplish in, with a physical body, and it's kind of amazing. But they become in awe of that person because of what they can do physically. I say Christians have a far better motto. Sole Deo Gloria. To God be the glory. God created those bodies anyway. Paul says, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. You know, when Jesus was standing before Annas, the high priest, if you were to look at that scene, if the entire world were to look at that scene, they would see Annas over here with his, his crown, his mitre, and his robe, and his scepter, and that high lifted up throne, and all of his degrees. They would see Annas, and then they would see Jesus in a tattered robe, his hands bound. And one of the soldiers in that scene went over and he smote Jesus in the face. That soldier judged according to the flesh. And he was wrong. Anytime you judge according to the flesh, if you're a Christian, you're going to be wrong. That is seeing others differently. The second thing you'll notice, number two, is seeing yourself differently. Now, this happened to me when I was 12 years old. Immediately and instantly, when I got saved as a bus kid. Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead. Verse 15, and that he died for all, that which means so that they which live should not, here it is again, henceforth from that, that point on, live unto themselves. But what? Live unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, knowing no man after the flesh. Wow. Can we just ask this simple question? You're saved tonight. I assume almost all of you are. Here's the simple question. Who are we living for? I mean, look, we have goals, and you should. We have goals and we have dreams and hopes and ambitions and plans, and that's all good. The question is, who are they for? Because I just read who they're supposed to be for. Who is all of it really for? Now, Paul says that when people are spiritually dead, that when they are without Christ, they are living really for themselves. And clearly, people are. You know, I was just thinking about this election. And, uh, you know, when you look at election seasons... You find really quickly that it's discouraging to see the American public. 
that most people, the, major, the vast majority of people in this society do not elect what's best for the future, what's best for our national debt or the next generation or the unborn or the republic or our own national interest or the constitution or for liberty, not at all. They vote for the biggest Santa Claus, the biggest candy man. Say, oh, these, the young people, the vote for the young people went for Biden. I know, he offered them free college and forgiving all their college debt. So a young person who's never voted before goes to a polling booth and votes for one reason so that I can be forgiven for my college debt. They only vote for the one that talks about, quote, my rights. Because to most people in the society, that's really all that matters. It's my constituency. But folks, that's nothing new. Paul affirms that we all, including me, before Christ, lived unto ourselves. But now, now, or ever since you've been saved, ever since the Lord Jesus died so that we might live, now, verse 15 says, we should live henceforth not unto ourselves, but unto him which died for us and rose again. Yes, you see others differently once you've been saved, but you also see yourself differently. Basically, in other words, it's the real them and it's the real you as a child of God. And the real you, beloved, as a child of God, is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Your entire, you have now eternal life. And this, this eternal life has an eternal purpose it never had before. Notice how the chapter begins, chapter 6. We, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, by the way. We, I love that. We then, as workers together, I love that. You and I are workers together. Isn't that great? But that's not the best part. We then, as workers together, here it is, with him. We are working together with him. What does it really mean that old things are passed away and all things are become new? It means that your new life is under new management. And it means that from now on, you don't live for yourself, but for the one who died for you and who rose again in order to give you eternal life. There's a famous story about Cyrus, the tall, stunning founder of the Persian Empire. He was deciding the fate of a captured prince and his family. And in those days, you know, a king's sovereignty was absolute. It was so absolute that people were executed with the wave of a hand. It was just like this. It was off with their heads. And so there was this family that was, was captured. A captured woman would almost always immediately in that empire become part of the king's chattel, just property. When they appeared before the monarch, he asked the prince, what will you give me if I release you? And that terrified prince said, I will give you the half of my kingdom's wealth. He said, and what if I release your children, all of my wealth, the prince said. And he said, what if I release your wife? And the prince said, your majesty, I will give you myself forever. And Cyrus was so moved by his devotion that he released them all. He let them go and he immediately gave them passage. And when they finally arrived safely at home, the prince commented to his wife, wasn't Cyrus a glory and a glorious man to behold. 
And she said, you know, I didn't notice because I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give his life for me. He said, Pastor, did you see Taylor Swift at the Chiefs game? No, I'm here at church. Hey, Remo, Lions won. Amen. He's happy. Did you see that? Pastor, isn't, isn't Lamar Jackson amazing? Did you happen to see this actor, this musician, this gymnast, CEO, this boss, this amazing artist? Wouldn't you love to work for the next president of the United States of America? All I know is that the Lord Jesus died for me and rose again that I might live. And the Pope didn't do that. And Taylor Swift did not do that. And Donald Trump did not do that. You see, folks, it's hard to see the glory of man when you have and you keep your eyes on the one who died for you and rose again. Chapter 5, verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Is that amazing? Now, notice the two words, all things. Yes, folks, all things, including my life. So what is new from now on? Number one, how you see others. Number two, how you see yourself. And then number three, how you see Christ himself. It's the real you, it's the real them, and it's the real him. Look at chapter 5, if you would, verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, notice what Paul says here. Though we have known Christ after the flesh. That's interesting, isn't it? I said, you know, Paul was a grown man. He knew about Jesus. Of course he did. He worked in Jerusalem. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. You see, beloved, there was that time when Paul knew Jesus only after the flesh. I mentioned Gamaliel, who trained Paul. He had his school in Jerusalem. Gamaliel did. And of course, a lot of things happen in Paul's life in and around Jerusalem. All the Pharisees were headquartered there. And he was one. So that the cleansing of the temple that outraged the Pharisees, the triumphal entry, the sermons that Jesus preached, many of them in the temple, then the trial and the crucifixion. Paul knew about Jesus after the flesh. And you know, let me just add that millions upon millions upon millions of people around us also know Jesus that way. Historians and archaeologists and theologians and scientists and psychologists, they all, to varying degrees, know Christ according to the flesh. But folks, Though we have known him after the flesh, yet now henceforth know he him no more. We know him according to the Spirit, according to truth. Every time I see one of these BBC documentaries about Jesus or Christianity, and get ready, they're coming in Easter, just like they did last Christmas, I'm always amazed at how far away from reality and truth they are. And regardless of how eloquent the narrator is, the question, of course, the story of Jesus, 
is what did he really do 2,000 years ago in the Roman occupation? It's amazing why so many people in the 21st century admire a man in the first century. I got news for you, Mr. Narrator. We don't admire Jesus. We worship Jesus. Matter of fact, we love him. We serve him. We trust him. You know why? Because he died for us and rose again and gave his life when we were dead in our own sins. So that no longer do we know him after the flesh. You see, beloved, when Paul knew Christ after the flesh, he may well have taken note of Jesus' wisdom. He may have. He may have looked at him and noticed the humility of Christ, the courage of Jesus of Nazareth. He certainly took notice of his followers. He chased him down and had him killed and arrested. But now, from the Damascus Road onward, Paul has a new eternal perspective of Christ, of Jesus that he never had before. He mentioned it in verse 14. You'll notice he says, the love of Christ constrains me. Folks, when you're loved by Jesus and so loved, he gave his life for you. You don't just admire him. You bow your knee and you're transformed by him. See, one of the things these documentaries always remind me of is what we alluded to at the beginning of this message. Psychology, sociology, and religion. Psychology tries, but you cannot really know yourself without Christ. Let me, let me let's close your eyes and tell me about your mother. And that's how you're going to know yourself. Sociology, you can't really know man. I've read books by anthropologists. You can tell they're a million miles away. You cannot really know man without Christ. It's why social experiments are always failures. And when it comes to religion, you cannot know Christ without Christ. There are churches all over this town, this state, this country, this world. Churches, religions who talk about Christ, they don't know Christ. Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Christian, here tonight, turn your eyes upon Jesus so that, you know what, when you look in the mirror and you look at other people around you and the person in front of you and behind you, you always see them through the eyes of eternity. From this point on, the Corinthians were carnal, causing division, biting one another, the Bible says. Looking at Paul, criticizing him, tearing him down, being mistaken, misunderstanding why he did certain things because they looked at him according to the flesh. You're a child of God. You have been born again. You're a new creature in Jesus Christ. Ask God to help you see as Christ would have you see. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for a moment. Pastor Blalock, I'm here tonight, and you know, I needed this reminder. Look, if you, and if you are teaching your children and modeling your children to, to look at everybody after the flesh, there will be a reaping of that. There always is. Carnal seed gives carnal fruit. And the same thing will happen in your life. This is the reason why it is crucial to be in the Word of God, to be with the people of God, 
and to be with Jesus himself. There are three sources of light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Thy word is a lamp into my feet. Spend as much time as you can in those three sources of light. And then you will not judge and see things according to the flesh. Pastor, I'm here tonight and I'm saved. I'm a believer, but I needed this message and God has spoken to my heart about something as a Christian. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building and praise the Lord and amen? Pastor, I'm here tonight. I'm not a Christian that I know of. I'm not sure that I am. Would you pray for me that I could be saved? May we do that? I won't embarrass you. Could I pray for you? Just raise your hand right you are if you're not sure that you're saved tonight. All right. I pray that all of us will recognize that we make judgments every day, all day long, about people around us, about ourselves, and about God. And if you make those judgments according to the flesh, you will be wrong. You will be wrong. And being wrong leads to a path of destruction, heartache, pain, division, just all the things you see at Corinth. Ask God to help you see, not according to the flesh, but according to eternity and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Father, bless the invitation. Once again, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us, Father, that, some, that all things are passed away. And that inasmuch as we always look at that verse or hear that verse and it, we apply it to these simple, outward, physical manifestations of changes, that it's far deeper and far greater that we, old things are passed away, we see people and Jesus and ourselves completely differently now. But may we continue to do so as we press on higher ground. Help us to turn our eyes upon Christ so that we see as he would. I pray for these who have asked for prayer, Lord, help them and strengthen them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.